Hello, welcome to the Long Ball Premier League preview show. I'm John Townsend. I'm Jacqueline DeBarb. And I'm Zooming Go. The citizens are useless, COVID surges across the UK, and the hammers get barred. A lot to talk about, so let's start the show. And we can't really start the show with any other topic because it's been really prevalent in not only the world of sports, but the world as a whole. COVID is surging again kind of across everywhere. In particular, we're going to be focusing in on the UK right now, as five matches so far in the past week have been postponed, including Spurs matches against Brighton and Leicester, uh, Manchester United's matches against Brentford and Brighton, and Burnley versus Watford. Watford. All of them are called off as COVID cases are skyrocketing across the across England. Around forty to 50,000 new cases each day in England, which is just a staggering statistic. And what I'm kind of wondering is, with the cases going up like this, how uh, how likely do you guys think it is for the season to be postponed at, at some point, with it getting as bad as it is? And Declan, have, uh, you go first. Um, I mean, we're not epidemiologists, so I don't think we're going to wade too much into that. But this new Omicron variant is it's it's scary. It's exploding everywhere, and as you say, those case numbers are staggering. You know what? I I wouldn't be surprised because how many more games can you can you suspend? Try and bungle on. You have some teams who, if we keep going at this pace by January, have played twenty games, and some who have played ten. Look at look at Zimming Spurs. Um, the people who run these leagues learn learn nothing. They learned nothing from COVID round one, and they're making all of the same mistakes. They're trying to to jam as many as many competitions as they can, and and it's just not going to work. I think the Premier League needs to take back, take a few weeks off, at least a month um, to get this under control because you can't have teams this out of sync and you can't have teams playing four or five games in a week. Spurs aren't going through in the in the Europa Conference League probably because they won't be able to play their game against Rennes. And, and so many other examples of that will come up and the fixture congestion at the end of the year plus the, plus the World Cup at, um, in winter next year, it's just not possible. It's just not possible to play this much football. And no one learned. And that's the problem. Yeah, I would be in full agreement with what Declan has said. And At the time of recording, we've only played 14 games while there's teams in the league who have played three more than us, actually. Quite a few teams in the league with 17. Um, which means that if this season were not to be postponed, um, by the end we would have a three game jam to make everything back up again. And with the rest of the fixtures and other competitions we're in, I just think that's in a sense sort of unfair for, for, for Tottenham. Um, and I mean, the reason behind this, as you see, you know, audience coming back to the full stadium and, you know, with that sheer exposure to people and the way support traveling to and from the cities in around the UK, this is inevitably going to happen. And I think right now you're just seeing the fruits of that. Yeah, and looking at how they're handling stuff, because to have to go to be going to the stadium, playing in a full capacity stadium, having the only prerequisites to get in is uh, show proof of um, having both your vaccines as or having a negative test 48 hours prior to the start of the match. That's not good enough, and to be playing it at a full capacity stadium where there's no requirements to wear your mask on during the during the whole match anything there's a recommendation to wear during the inside portion of the stadium but that's not good enough you're crowding that many people in 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 an area sharing the same oxygen as every other person if one person has covid a lot of other people are going to catch it just from that one so it's at the best case it's negligent from players or excuse me from teams who still want to put their players at risk and uh, and and be playing these matches but it's just because league leagues care about money teams care about money and they don't want to lose out on any profits but my kind of biggest concern is i don't know if they're going to be wanting to push back the season because they have the world cup next uh, next winter and let's say let's say they they take a month off they're going to be wanting to recoup those matches. All of a sudden, you'll be playing two matches a week, and chances are the end of the season, instead of ending in early early May, it's going to be ending in July, giving players then three, four months off, or excuse me, three, three, four weeks off, 
and then coming back for preseason, jamming pack a whole bunch of games just prior to the World Cup, and then going off to the World Cup playing internationally. These are too many games for these players to, to, to be playing. And we already saw the effects of it in the Euros with Christian Eriksen going down mid-match. And now there's talks with with Inter Milan where they're going to be kind of coming to a mutual decision to release him from his contract. We Nobody wants to see another Christian Eriksen situation happen. And I'm, I'm fearing that if the fixtures get as congested as they could get, we, we may see it again. And especially with all that's going on, you have to imagine what international competitions are going to play into this. We have AFCON coming up in January. And what's that going to mean for, for schedules? Like everyone has talked about it in terms of Liverpool, but further down the table as well in the spread across, across international borders um, as well. It's, it's a disaster. It's a disaster waiting to happen. The vaccine rate in the UK is under 70%. Um, for, for full double, do, double vaxxed, I'm pretty sure I just, I just Googled it. And according to Google, it, it's 69%. And, you know, with, with Omicron, they're talking about that you need the booster to be, to be fully protected and the vaccinated can still spread it. It's, it's really worrying. And I think, especially talking about the Premier League specifically, there's no bubble, um, around these players. So it really is the community spread bleeding into football. I don't know if they'll jump right to um, a complete halt to the season, but I don't know how they don't implement some kind of bubble to bring mm. some order back and, you know, around fans and going to the, going to the matches as part of it. But there's also the, the whole culture around it, going to the bars, hanging out with your friends, watching, watching the matches. And, you know, I, we talk about this from Canada and Ontario has something like 2000 cases a day and it's, it's horrible. It's, it's getting really bad everywhere. And, you know, it's this time of the year where we all want to spend time with our families and our friends. And believe me, I feel that. And as a fully vaccinated person, I don't really want to go back into another lockdown. But if you need to do it, you need to do it. And I don't want to spend another another month, another two months, another three months without without football, without the sport I love. But, you know, at the end of the day, if it's going to protect these players, it's something that you have to do. At least shift it to behind closed doors. For the next couple of weeks, play behind closed doors, see what the rates are for in terms of the amount of positive cases coming in, and then look to either reopen it back up or shut down entirely for a week and then like see where you go from there. But I don't know if playing behind closed doors will do anything for the actual players. I just I just don't see that being being a solution. There's too there's too much football. That's that's problem number one. They didn't learn from from this the first time. And then on the other hand, there's no bubbles. So transmission throughout society is ramping up and that is bleeding onto the footballers who are, who are part of society. They're not, they're not in some ivory tower protected from all of this. And so, you know, this is, this is getting into the realms of British politics, but at what point do, do you stop? And I mean, given what's going on with the Boris Johnson government around the uh, party scandal and everything like that, it's, it's complete chaos. Hmm. So, and I don't know if we're in a place where we can comment on that just because of a lack of, a lack of context. Not, not, none of us are in the UK. We're all, we're all from Ontario, but you know, the ramifications of society are affecting football. And I think it's just, uh, I think it just goes to show something that people will, will yell at you that sports don't belong in politics, but fundamentally sports are politics. And in this case, they are the body, they are the body politic. I feel like, to give a more like football perspective with all this congestion and all the uh, cup matches, international duty matches and whatnot. I think what this will really end up um, at least for the rest of this season, the beginning of next season is that you see a lot of these big premier league teams feel some of their backup players, their Academy players in an effort to rest some of their capped international uh, roster members and so with that, you'll see a relatively weakened side in the top six. And then from that, that gives you more opportunities for your mid-table teams or even your you know, relegation fighting teams every year to have a more equal shot at you know, leveling up the table, right? So I think with this COVID um, event, it will lead to a, in a sense, a little reshuffle in the table for the end of the season and beginning of next season, just because of the nature of the game. And in my honest opinion, I actually 
a little look forward to that. I actually want to see, you know, how, how that will play out, right. To give, you know, new players a chance to give our Academy products a chance and see, you know, is Nordish really that bad? (laughs) (laughs) So again, with this, I always think every event has its, you know, there's two sides to both, you know, sides of the story here. Sure. You're not going to be seeing your superstars light up, you know, the pitch or your opponent's pitch twice or even three times a week. But what you will see is that youth players get a chance to prove themselves. I wonder how, how long it is before we start seeing the, the discussion about bringing five players, five subs back into, back into the picture, something that has stayed in a lot of different competitions, has stayed in the Netherlands, has stayed in Germany, has stayed um, in the European competitions. I wonder, I wonder when we're going to see that back in, in the Premier League because, you know, it's, that goes against the narrative of what you're talking about, Zimmy, where, you know, it's these big squads that have all of this depth and would really get the benefit of having uh, to to being able to rotate half of their squad. But also, you know, it's just about managing the load, managing how you use your players. So I wouldn't be surprised if given the fixture congestion we're going to see, because I, I don't know how the Premier League continues, but I also don't know how it stops. And with that fixture congestion, you need more substitutions. You need the water breaks. I, I, I imagine we'll, we'll see a return of what, what was before. But then it's like you say, if the Premier League were to be stopped, what happens to the championship? And then if the championship does something, what happens to League One and League Two? Because all this stuff is related, right? You can't just stop the relegation fight or stop the promotional charge, right? It, it, it's, there's a lot of complications behind this entire pyramid that you know, the British football system is operating in. And that is really, if you, if you talk to anyone, it's, that's what they point out as, as what really is the glory of the English football system. And, you know, all of, all of this is about money. And fundamentally, that is what every conversation we have about this is. It's an entertainment industry. But at the same time, the Premier League doesn't do enough to support those clubs down there. So it's, I, I think that that's what we should be focusing on here. Because COVID restrictions cost money. And they cost teams that are barely... Fl- that are barely surviving money. And if they have to go behind closed doors again, revenues to League Two teams, League One teams, even championship teams would be massively cut. Because if you look at revenue streams, it's it's actual tickets sold that are the bulk of what League One to League Two. But even you go even deeper, the Vanarama North, Vanarama South, all of all of those down, down to the 92nd tier is they make money from selling tickets, unlike the big boys who make money from sponsorship deals and publicly traded companies and, and X, Y, and Z. And protecting that should be of the utmost importance, though. We, um, we didn't really get into the Super League debate on this, on this show when all of that started, but um, you know, I think that it's all a part of that. The Premier League is, is a cancer, and it's, and it's partly to blame um, in all of this. And I think that more more needs to be done to support the teams down there because I think in this conversation we can't forget about them. Agreed. Well, I really wish we had the long ball when the Super League stuff was going on because we we weren't even a show on at that point. But like we saw at the early points of the pandemic, as soon as the leagues got postponed, rumors started started to come out that they were going to be going out of business just because they didn't have that ticket revenue. Um, so hopefully, if something does happen. It's a bit of a long shot knowing the Premier League's history, but hopefully there'll be some type of revenue sharing to keep the lower leagues afloat for two weeks off, three weeks off, however long it would be. But let's now move on to some football that was played, though, during the week, uh, uh, during the midweek. So much for the Man City not being a buzzsaw narrative. That died a pretty gruesome death as City smashed seven past Leeds United. And maybe you can blame some poor Leeds defending for one, two, three of the goals. Like the first one, yeah, it's a little shoddy. Probably, probably a, a defender should have, should have blocked, uh, blocked the ball just for one into the net. But a couple of those strikes were just absolute world-class. The Bruyne had one from outside the box. That was incredible. And I'd argue if you stuck, if you stuck Donnarumma back there, he wouldn't have stopped any of those. But do you think Leeds fans should be a little nervous having been smashed 7-0 with Liverpool right around the corner facing them on Boxing Day? I mean, if we ever get there. Um, (laughs) Part of that is, uh, I think part of this all has to go to the conversation that we we had before, and that has to cast aspersions over the rest of our discussion. 
um, that we don't really know what the future of the Premier League holds. That at any at any moment we can we can see the end of it. But if we're talking about the games going on now, I would I would be worried. Bielsa is, looks like he's out of ideas, and that's not what you want to see. You know, we have talked about the injuries. Patrick Bamford is down again, and this team looks miserable without him they they don't look like they can score and it looks like tyler roberts is injured again and you know calvin phillips is is looking a little bit leggy so if i'm Leeds, i'm i'm worried the post-game press conference didn't inspire um very much either and he also just looks defeated it is most definitely the worst loss that he's had at Leeds, and especially given that it was coming after they started to find some legs under them and this god-awful stretch that they have. They played Chelsea. I think they should have gotten a point in that game. Um, they they just... You can't play expansive football against this Guardiola side, but Bielsa has one way of playing, and the same thing is true about Liverpool. So we'll, we'll see. Um, I'd be worried, but there's so many bad teams down at the bottom of the Premier League. I'm not, I'm not worried they're going to go down, um, but it is looking not great. Yeah, and I'm in the same boat as him. I think Bielsa's time is about to expire. Um, and just looking at Leeds so far this season, I don't think they've actually won a game by more than one goal. Uh, not that they've won many games this season. And also um, those like those like hard drawn out victories were all against you know mid table to lower tier sides. I don't think they also scored more than two goals in any of their games this season. Um, of course, we saw their opening day defeat to Manchester United, and we just saw what happened to them against Man City. Um, and I think that's simply the result of you know Bielsa's tactics being more and more accustomed to from the other teams in the league. And I think I would be a little bit more scared potentially if I were a Leeds fan, then say Declan, I do think there is a chance they might be headed towards the bottom just based off of current form because, you know, getting smashed seven nil and, you know, not winning since their last outing against Crystal Palace, I believe. And, you know, being hit with all this, you know, COVID stuff going on here. Um, don't think team morale is the highest uh, up at Ellen road. So potentially, but then again, um, I think there's bigger things to worry about going on in the league. So, you know, with this whole uncertainty, Leeds might just get swept under and potentially drop right down. And part of the problem with Leeds is that they're tying too many games. Like they've, they've drawn, they drew Brentford in, in a really exciting 2-2 game um, on, on the 5th of December. They failed to score against Brighton when they probably should have walked away victorious. And then you have two devastating draws at the beginning of the season against Burnley and Newcastle, the only team they've beaten in the bottom three is is Norwich. Um, so they have to figure it out. I just think that they have the quality that the that the that those other squads don't have. Claudia Ranieri is not working out at uh, at Watford. Their their win this weekend was you know their fourth of the campaign, but they've lost eleven games. Yeah, it, it's too much. And with Norwich, with Burnley, and with Watford. I think that they're stapled to the relegation zone and it might become a, a close affair with, with Leeds, but I, I wouldn't worry that they're going down. There's too much riffraff, but at the same time, you know, you ha- you always have to be worried. You can't get complacent. You always have to grow. How many times did we see, um, did we see Newcastle before they went down in the 2015, 16 season, I think was the year they went down um, battling in that relegation zone. And it was a long time coming. It was like a death of a thousand a thousand cuts and yeah, you can't, you have to show ambition. You ha- you have to want to get out of this. And with a healthy Patrick Bamford, I win. I think they win more than, more than three of these games. I think they turn, turn the, the draw against Newcastle into a win. I think they turn the draw against, um, against Brighton into a win. And then with that, they're on 20, 22 points and comfortably in 10th. So I think with Leeds, it's about taking their chances, something that they just haven't done. They just get out of 16th in the league as the time of recording. So, and also most of the teams underneath them also have more games to play. So it's going to be quite a challenge. It certainly is, but for whatever it's worth, I kind of still back Bielsa. Just he, he's a guy, he, 
I'm not sure if he slept much last night. He's probably just up studying, studying tactics all night. So if anybody's going to get them out of the injury rut that they're in right now, I'd back him to, but it was definitely a poor showing in City for not even switching up the tactics. I mean, kind of praised the, him backing his beliefs to going going in halftime 3-0 down to go, okay, we're going to get right back to it second half, but it's going to be an interesting ride for, for Leeds. Hopefully they can stay up. And wouldn't, uh, and wouldn't a, a break mid-season really help Bielsa? <laughs> it really would. It really would. Like we talk about, we talk about all the bad that this that this break would do. But for some teams like Leeds and like West Ham, this uh, a month break, a two month break might uh, might be exactly what the doctor ordered. Just too many players on the treatment table. But looking at City now, we spoke of a couple shows ago. I want to say about their goal differential, how they're kind of falling behind the likes of Chelsea and Liverpool based on goal differential. So if it's close at the end of the season, that could come into play. Yeah, no, that's not a thing anymore. They made up for it in that one match. Right now, they're only two two points behind Liverpool in goal differential, and they're in first place right now. So with Chelsea potentially falling apart, so speak more about that later, does this now make the, the favourites for the title? Yeah, I think it is a two-horse race this season between City and Chelsea. I think I don't think Liverpool have the necessary ne- the necessary quality to to continue that to continue that run. They don't have the, I don't think they have the squad depth and the lethality that a Chelsea and a, and a city do. Those team are, those teams are robots and, you know, really like that, but I think that, that, that Liverpool team is going to be decimated by AFCON. They've scored 45 goals so far this season. Most of the gram. How many of those are from African players who they're going to lose for a month? Plus whatever, plus whatever um, quarantine time they have to do. So it's not out of the question that they might be without Salah and Mane for a month or six weeks. And how different does that Liverpool team look um, if there's no Salah and there's no Mane? If there's no Naby Keita um, at the back as in, in the midfield as well. So I think that that's something you have to consider. And with, the Chelsea, with Chelsea, I don't think they have an African player. Um, and City, I don't think, also, also don't have an African player. So that's one thing to keep in mind. I think it's a, I think it's a two horse race between City and Chelsea. I, fundamentally, it's, it's, it's a really good point, especially when you consider the depth Liverpool have at strike or the lack thereof. Because now that uh, Harvey Elliott's out for the season, they no longer have that that winger. Because if you were to look at this, if you were to look at that squad at the start of the season and say you're losing Salah and Mane to Afcon, brilliant. Give Harvey Elliott as much game time there. He's going to be getting so many chances in that offense, but. Looking at the schedule in January, other than a match against Chelsea on the second, you don't got you don't have that much in terms of top six competition because you have Brentford, Crystal Palace, Leicester City, which yeah could be a little tough, Burnley, Norwich, and then you're facing Arsenal on February 26th when they should be back from Afcon at that point. So as schedules go, I've seen a lot worse, but by not having that lethal attack they're going to need to figure out replacements fast as, as you're definitely right with that. Yeah. I mean, if it came down between Man City and Chelsea, I think, as of now, I still would back the citizens, given that they have the most stingy defense in the league. They still haven't touched double digits yet at the time of recording. And, I mean, they also have more points. So, yeah, I just think that depth at Man City will ultimately... Trump in the end of the day. Well, let's now move on to the next match of uh, that we're going to be talking about: Arsenal two, West Ham nil. And Declan's already shaking to. his head. I, I I don't want to. Well, that's not what you said to me yesterday in text when you said you had a lot of thoughts on the match. But we'll give you a bit of uh, a bit of slack now. Let's talk about Arsenal first, as. It has just been the Pierre Emerick Aubameyang saga for the past couple of days, as I'm sure Zeming is just right now picking shit, just loving this. But Aubameyang start off talking about his struggles. He had at least three horrible misses in the in the past months in matches, like one against Newcastle. Uh, that one really sticks out in my mind, but a few others as well. And then he decided to go on a vacation to France midweek as I'm sure anyone would love to. It, it wasn't a vacation. Uh, I read that his mom was, uh, was sick and that he was visiting his mom. 
was oh. was was what I read. I I did not see that. I completely take back any uh, any jokey co- jokey comment. Perfectly fine, uh, fine for him to do so. Um, but he he then uh, it, it was confirmed to the club that he would come back on Wednesday um, and then go back to training on Thursday. But he stayed an extra day, came back on Thursday, and then went to training. And he didn't clear that with the club first uh, um, beforehand. Now, now understanding that it was his mother who was sick, I'm a little surprised that Arsenal weren't a little bit more lenient with that. Now, yes, as a captain, you should be, hey, Arsenal, just let you know I'm going to be staying the extra day to spend time with her. I'm going to be back training Thursday, as we agreed upon. I'm just going to be staying the extra day. But it's anyway. He was then stripped of his captaincy um, and left out of the squad for the uh, match on the weekend. And now it's seeming like there's no way back for him at Arsenal. Do you guys think that Arteta made the right call by leaving him out of the match today squad as well as stripping him of uh, captaincy? I mean, <laughs> I don't think I'm the best person to ask in this case, considering this is our biggest rival's captain and someone who has been very, very lethal. Um, ever since he's gotten to the Premier League and certainly has put a couple past us as well. And in my opinion, I think, well, that's the good, it's the right way to go. And if uh, Obama Yang leaves at the end of the season, then that means, you know, Arsenal gets just a little bit weaker. Um, not that it had been really strong these past few years anyways. And them currently in fourth spot in the Premier League seems a little bit odd that they're already mid-table team by now. I think that registered in my mind. Um, but you know, just aside, oh, where's where Spurs in the table? Something where, uh, where are they? You know, we have uh, three more uh, games to play, which means there's nine points on whatever you know, we have right now that we're going to add on top. So I think mm. we'll, we'll, I think we'll be in the Champions League spots for sure. Um, but Even anyway, United's above you. Not that's that's not looking too good. <laughs> well, can't blame any of the COVID. <laughs> um, but you know, in my opinion, again, I've you know after Declan. Clear things up regarding family issues. Um, you know, I, I don't think I like from a, trying to be more more objective. I don't think um, that is much of a valid reason to to, to just leave him out of the squad. Um, and it's not like this is someone they don't know. Like as that's been with sorry, Aubameyang's been with them for years, and you know, just simply the role he plays in the team against such a powerful opponent like West Ham, assuming we didn't know the result, I just don't feel like that was the best move to make from a tactical standpoint of view. Uh, but, you know, we all know what's happening behind the scenes at Arsenal with, you know, his future there. And if that decision were to be made, again, from a Tottenham fan perspective, I'm not really complaining, um, but I just think, you know, from a more humanistic point of view, that that leniency should have been granted. This also isn't the first example of this, though. He has had a number of um, a number of incidences where he's disobeyed the club, and that includes one time before a, a Europa League uh, game last season that he missed that he missed a, a test that the team had booked for him because they needed to get tested before they left. Um, so I think that this is more an accumulation. I think it's. I think it is is really. Um, I think I, th- I I do think it is a very tough call and a, a very harsh call as well um, from Arteta. But I, I do believe that it is a case of, you know, the needle that broke the camel's back and he, he stayed the extra day and then new laws were passed in the UK that uh, made travel traveling home a little bit more difficult. And I think that it was just um, that it was, that it was, that it was just the, the straw that broke the camel, camel's back that, it was it was an accumulation of things rather than just this one event. But uh, the manner in which that Arsenal went about it, though, I don't think was um, was the best. Um, especially doing it in such a public way, and and that not only does it hurt Arsenal financially, I, I think it contributes to this idea that Arsenal is a banter club, and the way that they handled it in the media was was disgraceful, in my opinion. Yeah, like I didn't even know about the Aubameyang. Uh, mother situation until you mentioned it and like i'm i stay up to date with with football now so that the fact that that story isn't out there at to the degree where it's first and foremost in people's minds i'm very very surprised about um 
understand why he was left out of the squad for the match on the weekend. But now knowing his situation with his mother, I do think stepping of captaincy is a little questionable. To be honest, I never really thought he was like a captain material type guy just because he has had those offenses in the past where he he he's not the greatest rule follower. But the fact that he is was the captain at that point, to then strip him of that after that type of ordeal where he chose to be with his family over going to his profession, something that's admirable. I, I, I definitely disagree with, the, with that call. However, moving on a tiny bit, Barcelona have now been in on Aubameyang for the past week because as soon as they get Aguero's contract off the books, they immediately go to get Aubameyang's contract. They wonder why they're in a billion dollars worth of debt. Now, with, with Oba, there's been a bit of rumors about a swap deal with Arsenal getting Usman Dembele, who's right now an expiring contract. And Zimming, I can't already know your, your preference to, um, you don't want, really, really want Arsenal to get Usman Dembele. But can you see this deal even happening? Because it's weird to me thinking that even a club as poorly managed as Barcelona, would look at a 20-24-year-old 20, Usman Dembele, I believe his age is. Yes, he has injury concerns, but on his, on his day, he's a fantastic winger. And go, no, we want the, we want the striker who is built, who's, who's based on pace, and who's 31, whose pace has been declining, whose finishing has been declining, is in one of the worst se- uh, seasons of his career, we'll pick him over this guy. Yeah, I mean, you summed it up perfectly. And again, if Barcelona were to propose this offer to Arsenal, it clearly means there's a reason they want to get Dembele off their their books. And if that was their level of replacement, that just goes to show how bad Dembele really is. And and I just, that unpredictability in his form going forward, I guess, is the last thing that Arsenal wants to take a a gamble on in in this case. Uh, But, you know, if if I were Arsenal, I don't think I have well, in that case, I don't think Dembele would be the worst that can happen, given that Obama will leave, right? Because I can still hope that somehow Dembele finds his form in North London and starts smashing in the Premier League. Um, but again, on paper, this this everything about this swap just yells red flags, at least for Arsenal's end. Uh, but you, you never discount the fact that some people just find their form in, in, in the Premier League, and that's perfectly normal. So, again, from the Tottenham perspective, you know, I'm pretty excited <laughs> for this to happen. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, from a, from a completely non-centric standpoint, I definitely do look at Arsenal and think, Okay, you're buying a young French winger. I just like the sound of that. Arsenal to me has always been the French club in London. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, they, they got Henri, they they got uh, uh, De, De, uh, Debussy. Um, who, who's the the captain they had? I can't think of his Era. name. I went to Bordeaux. Uh, oh, um, oh, um, Koscielny. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Like, they've always been like the French club in in oh. uh, in England. So I just love the sound of Usman Nabele in. And um, also, I think they might have even been loosely in for him at some point, like before he went to, uh, um, maybe even before he went to Borussia Dortmund. But anyway, moving on, though, to your favorite topic, then West Ham United. I'm just going to say your thoughts on the game and let you go. I think it's frustrating. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was a really frustrating game. Um you know, there, there's obviously the controversial penalty and the red card to Vladimir Sufal, which, like, is, is a conversation about VAR, and I really hate talking about VAR. But um, I think it really showed that West Ham need a striker because Mikel Antonio has been off the pace since October. He looks exhausted. He looks exhausted. His hold-up play has been substantially worse, and he didn't even get a sniff of sniff of goal. I don't think he, I don't think he had a touch of the ball until the 30th, the 30th minute or so. And Jared Bowen looked like the only life in that attack. Manuel Lanzini looked pretty good, but uh, you know, the top, the top of the the formation needs to be, needs to be banging if, 
when you, when you play a game as important as this. And, you know, I, I just think Antonio was in a poor run of form and he looks tired and, and that's part of it. Um, the lack of any senior defenders um, is also a troubling issue. And with Vladimir Su fallout for, for next week, because you can't appeal a double, double, double yellow situation. Um, and that shouldn't have been a second yellow card as well. It shouldn't like, have been I only saw half the match, but I saw that yellow card happen. And it, I understand it's a harsh decision. I probably wouldn't have given it as a foul, but I can understand why you would. But in no way, shape or form, that should have been a card any, any, t- any time. And, ne- and neither was the first one. And neither was, and neither was the first one. So um, it means that Harrison Ashby will be starting at right back. He is an 18-year-old from the academy. Um, um, well, we were just saying earlier on that we want to see more can- academy players coming in. <laughs> yeah, and West Ham's the academy of football. But like, I want players who are actually ready to, to play. And the loss of Ben Johnson, the loss of Aaron Cresswell, the loss of Angelo Ogbonna, the loss of Diop. It's, or sorry, the loss of Zuma. It's, it's, it's not a good time. Um, West Ham season was always going to be, be determined by their ability to stay healthy and they've been bitten pretty bad by the injury bug. So we can talk until we're blue in the face um, about, about the VAR decision. I don't know if we really want to go into it because I, I hate talking about VAR. It's the stupidest conversation we have to have every single week because there's always something. Um, and it, you know, it, it just doesn't seem to want to work for teams that are outside the, the top three, the top four, whatever. Um, and yeah. Um, I thought it was bullshit, but the thing I don't get about VAR is it seems to be only a Premier League issue because it seems like the other the other leagues around Europe, primarily the top leagues, they don't have as nearly as many controversies as they as they do uh, in the Premier League. And as well, if you look at the Euros, VAR was decent. It was fair. I like think, you, I think you it's the standard of English officiating. I think the standard his his thing very poor. His thing you didn't hear many controversies with with uh, in the Euros about VAR until Premier League match officials ref the match. And it seemed like all the VAR controversies in the Euros all had Premier League match officials. Now, I have no idea why the richest league on earth has the worst officials possible. I, that just is baffling to me. But does anybody have any explanations for why Premier League refs are this poor, it seeming like? No, uh, but I, I think it's clear. You know, I watched a ton of the City A. There's barely any VAR controversies. Um, the Bundesliga seems to have it down pat. And the Premier League just can't figure it out. And I think it's the wording and I think it's the officials um, that, that just can't seem to figure it out. It's baffling to me. Mm. So that's going to be taking us to halftime as this week we're, we're going to be playing the game higher or lower pretty simple gonna be starting off with a category this week it's all-time premier league goal scores gonna be starting off with the first player harry kane he has scored 167 goals in the premier league so far and the next player is mo salah now zimming and declan gonna be working together as a pair and they're trying to decide whether or not mo salah over the course of his premier league career has scored more goals than harry kane it's surely less. I feel so as well, yeah. Yeah. Go on, Les. You'll be right. Mo Salah scored 111 Premier League goals. So quite a lot less, but still respectable number at, at uh, 111. Now, the next player. Has he scored more, more goals than Mo Salah? Hyung Min Song. Yes. You're saying Son right away scored more goals than Mo Salah. Yeah, that's, a, that's a shout. Yeah. Not less. You more. Less. Wait, 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 wait. Salah has more than Son, right? That, that's what you're trying yes, to say. Yes, yes, that's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Salah has more goals. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I was going to say, you're going off the bat. Oh, yeah, Son has more goals than Salah. No, 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 no. Wow. No, no, no. Not even Spurs fans. No, no, the other way around. But you'll be also be right. Most. Yeah. <laughs> well, you'll be right. Most Salah has 76 goals. And now move on to round four. Fernando Torres. Does Torres have more goals than Human Song's 76? How many seasons in the Prem did, did Torres play? Five? So it was his Liverpool days and his Chelsea days, right? But his yeah. Chelsea days, I don't think they would really amount to many. No. 
Um, this is a tough one. I, my gut is telling me less, but I don't know if we should listen to hey, my gut. Can, can, you, can you just repeat what uh, Sun was at before? Sun was at 76. Sun, I think, has had a longer career in the Prem. But has also, Sun had a longer career in the Prem? I think so. But also, would we get this many less lowers in a row? Or is John trying to fuck with us? Okay, also consider what role Sun played and what role Torres played. Torres definitely played higher on the pitch than Sun. So like, just probability-wise, he is he he's probably plays a bigger role in those scoring opportunities. I would actually say Torres over Sun. Okay, I'm trusting you, Zeming. All right, go for it. What is it, John? You're right to trust him as Torres has 80, 85 goals. I was a little nervous there when he started going under. I was like, um, I don't know. But moving on to round five for Torres' replacement at Liverpool, Luis Suarez. Does he have more or less goals in the Premier League than Fernando Torres? 85. I think it's more. I would think so. I mean... No discussion know, going right in there? Played one. He only played for one stint in Liverpool. He did. But I think that stint was... Yeah, he was really productive. And it was what? Three? Three years? Maybe not. Can you remember? It's 80-86 for Torres? Uh, 80, 85 goals for Torres. And Torres, I believe, played two, three seasons with Liverpool, but then he was on Chelsea. He was on Chelsea, performed a lot, a lot worse, but was on there for about four seasons, I'd say. Yeah. It was just like a rotation option. You know what? I, I, I think less. I, I think less. Suarez is less? No, no. Wait, okay. No, no. Suarez was there for three years. Okay, now I remember. Yeah, he was there for three years. You're right. And he was just super prolific did he while score, he was there. But did he score 30 goals a season is the question. He would have to average about 30 in a season to match that, right? I don't I don't think he did it. I don't think he did it. You don't think so? I have a feeling this is gonna be pretty close, to be honest. And like something is telling me Suarez for some reason. Do have to push you for an answer? You trust my gut or your gut? I, I never trust my gut. So. All right, we're going with my gut. I, I'm, I, I'm just flipping a coin by now. Suarez. It's going to be a difference of two or three. Yeah, Suarez. You're saying Suarez has more. Suarez yeah. has more than Torres. Thank you for playing this weekend. Luis Suarez has 69 goals. <sighs> nice. And Fernando Torres is 85. Uh. So honestly, making it to round five. I think that could be the high for this uh, for this game so far because normally normally guys go out at four. It's a new high score. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you trusted my gut until you got the high score, then uh, it stopped working. I mean, I was trying to lead you into the right direction, going, "Well, Torres did play like five, five, six seasons in the Prem." Yeah, I have no idea if you're just screwing around with us. <laughs> <laughs> Well, also for the listeners, if you have any ideas of any games or topics you want to hear us talk about on the podcast, feel free to send them to us on Twitter or email us at the, uh, site at gmail.com. We'd love to hear, hear any thoughts you guys have. Moving on now to the match of the week, if it takes place, because Tottenham has been on a bye for the past month. And that's kind of what we want to talk about with Liverpool at Spurs. It's been COVID hell for Tottenham because every single match for at least like the past two weekends has been postponed with COVID. And it really seems like Tottenham was for a period of time the only team that had issues with COVID as well, as I'm sure Zimming's aware with that. And there were even reports early on this week that if they did play a match, they would only have 13 players available. Knowing that, and knowing that also um, even the uh, U23 squad has been hit with multiple cases, nine members of the coaching staff tested positive. Assuming the game goes ahead on Sunday, do you think Spurs stand a chance against Liverpool? No, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I am praying that it still gets postponed because it's happening in three days. Um I, I, I just can't see this happening. Like it's just our, 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 we don't even have a full power Tottenham. And 
with that, it's not just the people who are out that's going to affect the outcome of the game. We haven't played in a long time. The team morale isn't there. Uh, it's just, I, no, I, I, I simply can't see us even eking out a draw here. It, it won't happen. Yeah, yeah. I, Especially given the firepower of Liverpool and yeah. the lack of rota- rotation options, this game shouldn't go ahead. Um, it's... it's- We've we've had this com- we've had this conversation before, and I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, like even even a normal full power Tottenham, it still can't really handle money and and Salah, let alone this weekend Tottenham. It, it just there's doesn't have, it won't work. Well, looking at Spurs squad as a whole, then. Harry Kane's only managed to find in the back of the net once in 13 games a season, as yeah. well as notching one assist. So it's not even that he's standing, sitting so far back, just pinging balls to Son, Lucas Moore, uh, Brian Hill, because I barely seen any Brian Hill action. But are, you, are Spurs fans worried at all for Harry Kane? Because it's past October. It's past his annual October dry spell at this point. Almost getting into January, and he's only netted once. Uh. I guess initially, yes, we were worried because, you know, our most prolific guy is not banging the goals. But I guess in the games that we did play since Conte took charge in the league, at least, we've been pretty satisfied with our performance at the end of the day because getting the points and, you know, staying relevant in the table is more important than seeing Harry Kane score week in, week out. You definitely see the goal scoring distribution being spread a little bit more evenly amongst the rest of the team. So I think, in essence, you're seeing a little bit of the team taking over Harry Kane, in a sense, in that as long as we can fit into Antonio Conte's system, and as much as we love Kane, I think, you know, he's secondary to the progress of the entire of the entire team. So, you know, there's always that transfer saga last season, and, you know, I guess even the most hardcore Kane supporters are slowing to realize that his time in North London is slowly drying up and seeing the role that he plays right now in Tottenham isn't as great as what he has shown through, you know, the reigns of Poch, Mourinho and whatnot. I think we're slowly shifting our way, focus away towards Conte system rather than placing higher expectations on Kane. I mean, it's definitely smart if you're looking at it from a squad building standpoint, because if you guys lost Kane last summer, you guys had no option. Like there was, there's no backup plan. Uh, yes, I am a true believer in Son can play striker, but it's not that proven. Or at least yeah. prior to the season, it wasn't that much proven. Like maybe a couple games here and there. But now looking at the squad being a lot more evenly distributed mm-hmm. when they're playing, because again, it's weird talking about a team I haven't seen play in a while. Yeah, but <laughs> it's it it definitely is. I could see why, why it would be good for Spurs fans to kind of see that it's not just if Harry Kane doesn't score, we're screwed. Yeah. But under Conte, because I can't really call if you were last on the episode when Conte was hired or what the situation with him was then. But with Spurs fans this season, what do you think is the expe- expectation for Conte? Is it you got to finish in Europa League spot? Is it just playing enjoyable football? What's the expectation around him? Uh, I mean, the honest answer would be all of the above, right? <laughs> because Conte has shown that, right? His brand of football is really attractive. He's won before. And if he can replicate that with other clubs, why not replicate that with us? Um, but you ask the same questions all the time with incoming Tottenham managers. It just doesn't work in <laughs> at White Hart Lane, you know, just people come here and their past brilliance just stops. Um. Mm. So I guess most conservatively speaking, uh, the the main goal is to finish within effectively top five to see some glimpse of Europe next season. Um, just because you know, I think as Spurs fans in the past years, we've been spoiled for that. We always expect there's multiple campaigns going on within the season, um, and that's the first priority. Um, I think that's something that you know he knows. Um, and then on top of that, everything else we can we'll just take for 
for granted. And, you know, if it's attractive football, we'll take it. If it's, you know, well, not that he plays park the bus or some boring brand of football, whatever happens just happens, but securing Europe is definitely our top priority. And as we're recording this right now, apparently Van Dyke, Fabinho and Curtis Jones all tested positive for COVID as well. So COVID positives um, just keep rolling in. And the West Ham Norwich game was, uh, was just canceled as well. They're going to announce, I wouldn't be surprised, that they're shutting down for a decent amount of time after we get this episode up. It, it, it's carrying on with the tradition of we record a team season preview and then next day they sell Jack Grealish or next day they're linked with a big transfer. That actually happened. We recorded the Aston Villa podcast with a guy the day prior to Jack Grealish getting sold. It just amazing time capsule that. Um, so you're saying the Tottenham's going to beat Liverpool seven 0 right on Sunday, and the game's going to go on. So that's where you're seven nil with Dane Scarlett scoring yeah, yeah, five exactly. goals. Yep, like it's yeah. By the way, I really want to, I want to see Dane Scarlett get more game time. I, I really like him. I, I I think he's really promising. Like, um, as, as, I feel like he's like the one the kids Spurs fans are just attached to. Like this guy needs to get game time. So let's now talk about the top five goalkeepers in the world. We've all made our lists. And from talking also about the hair last week about doing a loose ranking, is he a top five uh, Premier League keeper? We want to kind of expound upon that, as well as with the Mastermind site doing its annual top 100 footballers list, which can be voted on by you, the listeners, the fans of the site. Um, so make sure to go to the, go to the website and cast your vote on that uh, right after you're done listening to this pod. And starting off with the goalkeepers, as they're going to be starting off with the with the goalkeeper of the year voting on the website. For my top five, my fifth place goalkeeper, which I feel like Declan's going to get very mad at right here, Manuel Neuer. I understand he's been had a bit of a bounce back since he was really recklessly bad a couple of years ago. But just because he was so poor then, I'm still not fully trusting him as well as he did lose to England in the world in the Euros Germany lost to England let me say again for the people in the back England beat Germany and then England lost to Italy uh, da, 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 da. mute mute his mic mute his mic I'm um, the host you can't mute my mic <laughs> I'm the- <laughs> relax I'm going to be praising your goalkeeper later on but that's kind of why I have him at number five We'll go to Zimming now because I'm out of Declan. Who's your fifth goalkeeper? Uh, it's actually also Manuel Neuer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Great minds think alike. Yeah, believe it or not. Um, well, I mean, initially I thought about maybe sliding Lloris there somewhere, but then I realized, nah, he's past his days. Um, but, you know, back in the days, Neuer came, I think, top three. He was number three in uh, Ballon d'Or voting. He had his absolute brilliant days. And for a long time, I think he was pretty much the undisputed number one goalkeeper in the world ever since he took that title from Buffon. Um, and I think right now he is having that insurgence, which is really why I'm seeing, why I'm placing him back on the top five list. Um, he's still, you know, keeping you know, his team in, in, in the league pretty well. And I'm seeing glimpses of you know, his younger days um, as such a, I guess, leadership role he's taking on in controlling that back line as well. So, yeah, that's my Neuer number five. My fifth one is Thibaut, Thibaut Courtois of Real Madrid. Belgium number one, uh, run away, run away La Liga leaders. The man, the man can't be stopped. Um, I see what you're doing with putting Neuer there, but uh, for me, it's Courtois. He should, she should make this top five list. Well, that's fair enough. But I've always rated him as a goalkeeper. I don't know though about his recent form. Like I generally do not know the numbers about how good of boy he's been. But on his day, Courtois is one of the world's best shot stoppers. Um, moving on to my fourth pick. Now I definitely feel like I'm going to get some heat for this one. Jan Oblak. I feel like he's a great goalkeeper, and he is. But he also he's. He's prone to mistakes where may bobble a ball here or there, just kind of be a bit erratic. And because of those faults, I'm going to dock him a little bit. 
Now, I perfectly understand the arguments for him. He had a fantastic season last year with Atletico Madrid, winning the league title, perfectly valid. If you want to put him higher, no, no problems with me, no, no qualms with me. But for me, because he's a little bit of, a little bit more erratic, that's why I kind of had to dock him some points. And Zimming, who's uh, your number four? Uh, my number four is Allison. Um, I mean, again, I, 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 I think contrary to Nora, Allison is more on a decline than say on an incline coming up. Um, you know, a few years ago he was he was really really good, uh, but you know he still puts up great numbers in the league. Um, his you know the Liverpool well Liverpool's goals conceded still is very low at the time of recording. Um, and I guess his his style of play, his presence in the back is still very commanding as well, just like that of Neuer. Um, and because of that, I still think that Allison is still ranks up there amongst the best. Very fair. Declan, who's your fourth? So we all have different number fours. Mine is Mike Magnon of AC Milan. The guy won La Liga, or Liga last season with uh, an outstanding Lille team, and he put in an incredible shift. And now he's top of the city uh, with uh, AC Milan right now, continuing his excellent, excellent play. Um, so I think it's a little bit of a dark horse here, but uh, my my pick is Mike Manuel. I gotta say I don't have him on my list, but and I definitely agree with you. It's a dark horse. I love that pick. Like, yes, I really wish I I really wish I got that angle and, and put him on my list. <laughs> He really threw me with, with the Manion pick. Has he been capped? He's had to been capped for fans, right? He has that one. He's that one cap. Uh, yeah, um, uh, incredible shot stopper. He's twenty six already. Wow, I thought he was younger. Huh. <laughs> goalkeeper. Anyway, old man. That <laughs> yeah, was talking about another goalkeeper played in Liga around the same age. My number three pick, Eduard Mendy. Now, I can understand. The criticisms for this pick, because you could say that Tuchel always has a great defense and it's a system goalkeeper, but in the system, he is the best goalkeeper for it. He has an 85% save percentage, 44% clean sheet percentage, which is an insane stat that almost half the games he's playing and he's keeping sheets clean. <laughs> he's, he's just been the undisputed number one in a chaotic Chelsea goal that before had Kepa and between him arguing, arguing with uh, with Ren, uh, not Ren, Renier, with uh, with with Mauricio Sarri, but going off uh, uh, before a penalty kick, that that whole shitstorm to have Mendy come in for a cut rate fee, become the undisputed number one, one of the best goalkeepers in the Prem. Like hats off to him. He's, he's had a he's had a great year. Yeah, uh, my number four is Ederson. Sorry, sorry, my number three is Ederson. Um. Yeah, not too much explanation needed here. Um, you know, Man City, like I said before, has the best defense in the entire league. Um, Ederson is still performing at a very high level, very agile, very quick, a little bit smaller than the rest of the goalkeepers we're, we're seeing on this list. But, you know, he brings his speed with his style and, you know, really carves his own presence on the field. And, you know, a lot of Man City's success has been attributed towards him. So ever since he came from Benfica, don't think he's ever really disappointed for a long stretch of time. So number three is Ederson for me. My number three is also Ederson. Uh, I think that picking up on everything that Zimbin said is, is correct. I think that he's perfect. And whether he's a system keeper or not, he's one of the best goalies with the ball at his feet. Um, yeah. And I think that that is that's so crucial to Pep Guardiola's style. Exactly. You can read the game very well as two from the backside. So it's another plus for his. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't have much else to say. Yeah. It's one of those keepers you just kind of throw on there and it's like, everyone's understood. Oh yeah. He's top five. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, he's not even on my top five list. He's, he's in contention though. No arguments here, but uh, now my number two pick, a keeper that's already been said, Allison. I I really rate him. I think he's one of the best goalkeepers of the streets in the world. Um, he's has he's kept so far this season kept clean sheets in nine out of thirteen matches, and he's just a really solid goalkeeper. He's good good leader as well. Um, understand Declan just hates him with all of his being, which point fair enough. I definitely have players like that as well for me, and. 
yeah, I just think he's a really solid keeper. Zimming, who's your number two? Uh, my number two is Donnarumma. Um, I think we all saw his rapid rise to the top. I think we all saw him when he was, well, I think he's actually younger than all three of us. Yeah. Um, you know, his days. Born, born on my birthday as well. My, oh. my birthday the year after. Yeah. Exactly. Actually, excuse me. I think he's 99. Oh, is he? Or is he 2000? I think he's 99. 99. So you guys are the same age. Same age. I think same I am, height as well. I am younger than Donnarumma. <laughs> yeah, you're waiting for your call up one day, huh, John? <laughs> I know. Oh, the second I saw his uh, his birthday, I thought, wow, that makes me feel great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I, again, I think we've seen enough of his displays throughout all these seasons. He's really proven himself. And to cap, no, to, to, sorry, to be the starting goalkeeper for a team like Italy, that we really have to beat out a lot of competition to be at that spot. Um, and, you know, when he was at Milan, it was definitely, you know, a much weaker side and he has been there through that rebuilding phase. And if it weren't for his brilliance between the sticks, Milan certainly wouldn't be as successful as they were. Um, and now even at PSG, he is still doing brilliant. Um, and just simply the energy, his height, his skill, um, and his future potential, right? The guy, you said, guy's like our age, like who knows how high this guy will end up flying. Right. So, Donnarumma, number two. My number two is Yen Oblak. Uh, for a long time, the best goalie in world football playing in that Simeone system. He's so crucial to it. He won the league last year. Um, I think enough said. One of, one of the best shot stoppers in the world. A big reason why, even if you go back to 2016-17, that, uh, that uh, Atletico Madrid squad made, made the Champions League final in back-to-back years. Enough said. He is unbelievable. Honestly, even though I am low on the list, it's understandable. Like he is a really great shot stop on his day. Now my number one, not really the number one in my heart, but we were just speaking about him. Gianna, Gianluigi Donnarumma. One year 2020, 2021, what we're calling it for Italia. And Finished second with AC Milan. And this is an AC Milan side that has gone through ups and downs over the past decade. And in part, due to him, found stability and finished very high up last season. Um, he then made a big money move to, to PSG, and he's kind of been doing a tandem goalkeeping job with uh, with Keylor Navas, even though everyone knows that the starting goalkeeper on that team is Donnarumma. And in limited sample size, with uh, PSG so far, 75% save percentage in the league and 87.5% save percentage in the Champions League. Very limited sample size, but he's a top-class goalkeeper. He really is. Zeming, who's your number one? Yeah, for me, it's undisputed Darren Randolph. Uh, I mean... (laughs) 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 Um, okay, no. um, uh, okay, well, in all seriousness, uh, I don't know, I don't know, maybe, maybe from now on, on, Darren Randolph will start taking off, who knows? Uh, but you know, as what I'm thinking right now, um, it, it, it's Jan Oblak, um, that's my number one. I think both of you guys have spoken to Jan Oblak already. When you put him as second, and when you put him as fourth, he's my first. Um, again. Uh, again, really nothing more to say that hasn't already been spoken. He's been so great. He's been so reliable over these years. His handling capabilities are amazing. Um, and when when someone says Atletico Madrid, the first person I think of is their goalkeeper, which doesn't really happen when, when in, in many cases. When you say a club, you think of their goalkeeper immediately. Um, yeah, simply the best, in my opinion. And I think everyone knows who mine is. Uh... John Luigi Donnarumma, let me throw some stats at you. 215 caps for AC Milan, uh, made his debut at the age of 16, 40 caps for Italy, Euros winner, Gigi Buffon regen. I didn't know that they had those in real life, but uh, that's who this man is. Um, you know, he may be a snake, uh, and uh, I may not like him much anymore, but uh, undisputed best goalkeeper in the world. Best goalkeeper in the world for, I don't know how long, a decade, maybe. Um, he's 22 years old. Wait till, wait till Ramsdale really pops off in the World Cup. 
<laughs> and England go out in the group stages. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> you can't disrespect the waistcoat like that. Listen, at least you'll be there. Oh. <laughs> I mean, at least England will be in the World Cup. So we're going to be skipping past stoppage time this week because, to be honest, we have no idea what matches are going to be taking place this weekend. So thank you very much for coming on the show uh, today, Zimming. Would you like to take a moment and let the uh, audience know where to find you? Yeah, my pleasure. Had a great time, like always, guys. Uh, my Instagram handle is Zimmingao, so that is spelled Z-I-M-I-N-G-G-A-O. Um, feel free to connect and we can talk more about footy over there. If you don't follow him at this point, audience, what are you doing? <laughs> How many more times does he need to come on before you can trust this trustworthy man? <laughs> and another trustworthy man you can uh, follow, Declan, would you like to let the audience know where to find you? I'm trustworthy? Wow. That's, that, that's, a, that's a really big compliment. You can find me on Twitter at debark 14 um, make sure to check out my most recent uh, bit, bit of writing that I've, uh, I've got up on there. It's uh, my blog, Cordova. I've been talking about it for a while, and uh, it's a really interesting dive into the complex rivalry between um, Roma and uh, Lazio and all the politics behind that. Uh, so if you like politics, if you like football, it's, it's worth a check. Eternal City Derby, huh? <laughs> it's a great read. Um, make sure to check it out. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at JohnTownsend99. And if you have any ideas for games or topics you want to hear us talk about, uh, feel free to send, send them to either me or Declan um, or email us at site at gmail.com. That's going to do it for the show today. Keep your eye on the Mastermind Site podcast feed for the review show after this weekend's games. Make sure you go on the mastermindsite.com to cast your vote for the top 100 footballers of 2021. We'll be back here next week to preview the Bond Burner. That's Leeds versus Liverpool, Bielsa versus Klopp. So you won't want to miss that. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating as it really helps grow the show. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>